I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hey everybody and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the fangirl radio show i'm your host jessica dwyer and with me tonight are my boys mr carl duty hello fangirl nation after a very long weekend of buffalo comic-con i am rested and ready to give this podcast a wedgie again in the words of the immortal joker wow that was boisterous and awesome. <laughs> and Mr. Eric Smith. Hey, everyone. I don't have any sort of prepared statement. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to try and not, like, lose my voice and hack up the phone lines with my, with my coughing, raspy, doom voice that I have had for almost a week now. Um, I didn't have a chance to get my flu shot. And so I just got the flu. And it was awesome. And it's sticking around. So, um, But the good news is, as of this recording, it is October 21st, 2015. And what does that mean, boys and girls? Well, if Facebook has told me anything today, is that it's Back to the Future Day. Did you know it's Back to the Future Day? It's did Back you, to the Future Day. Is, you is know, on Facebook, you? if you go on Facebook, if, every other post is Back, back to, to the, the Future, future. Day. It's Back to the Future. And they're actually going above and beyond with Back to the Future. I think it's great. USA Today is actually reprinting the actual cover that they had in the movie of Back to the Future 2. It's going to be the front page of the actual paper. I don't think it's today. I think it's tomorrow. And, of course, um, Amazon was the place to go for Pepsi Perfect, which <laughs> broke all their systems, and it sold out within seconds because there was only like 6,000 bottles produced. I know people uh, that had it in their, their um, cart, and they didn't get to buy it because it was gone. At a rock-bottom price of $20.15. See what they did there? Yes, I do. <laughs> but the other cool thing um, is that today Nike announced, and there are there is a video of these. They actually have the sneakers, and they actually tie themselves. And they gave a pair to Michael J. Fox, and he put them on. And they're going to be selling the Back to the Future shoes with the self tying laces and the proceeds i believe are going to the michael j fox foundation and how much for a pair of these I 1980 wonders don't even want to know well if they wanted to fit it would they would be two thousand fifteen dollars a pair it may very well be it they you you know it could be i would not doubt it um but uh i think that's pretty awesome though 
that and and there's a uh, some uh footage of him putting them on and the look on his face is amazing and um it just is great so i'm i'm excited the the new blu-ray um set came out today too there's screenings all over the place my friends are um online are super stoked i have a lot of back to the future friends uh that love it so happy back to the future day and um there is actually on that new release a short new film with a christopher lloyd in it so go out and buy that if you don't i don't actually own it on blu-ray can you believe that there was this is actually the second blu-ray release of the trilogy i've got the first one and i think that's good enough for me i like i enjoy the movies but i'm not it's not like with star wars where i just keep buying them over and over again i still have about, I've, I've resisted the buying of the star wars on blu-ray i oh, Say, say what you will about special editions, and a lot of complaints are valid. The picture and sound quality is just so incredible, and makes I know makes a lot of the bad stuff tolerable. I know. I'm. 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 We'll get to the Star Wars portion of of this episode. <laughs> Star Wars to go over. There's a lot of Star Wars <laughs> to go over, um, but I uh, I may end up buying the. Um, the Back to the Future trilogy on Blu-ray this time around, and um, I'm probably going to end up breaking down and buying the Star Wars Blu-ray pretty soon. Um, the one thing that I will tell you I'm for sure buying on Blu-ray when it comes out is the movie that I finally got to see um, that was released last week, Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak was amazing and i know a lot of people are saying oh it's already a flop and all this crap uh it's not a flop yet and i don't think it will be a flop because it's probably going to do gangbusters overseas when it's released um but not only that but it will find an audience for sure on blu-ray because this movie is just luscious beauty all over the place um, it is Guillermo del Toro unleashed in his natural habitat of gothic, fantastical beauty and just the, the a hammer and gothic romance fest for the senses, this movie. <laughs> it is so beautiful. It is so good. Um, he loves gothic literature and he loves gothic theater and gothic film. And this movie allowed him to bring his favorite bits of that to life. And there's instances within the dialogue where he utilizes um, lines from other works of Gothic literature like Jane Eyre. And he just tweaks it a little bit. But if you're a fan of this, like he is, you'll be like, oh, I see what he did there. And it's just so beautiful. And there's so much on screen in the design and in just the the details of it that you you'll probably have to see it a couple of times just to take in just all the stuff because it's so beautiful and um the acting is amazing it's great jessica chastain is like brutal ice (laughs) she is amazing tom hiddleston brings back to life like he is the love child of Peter Cushing and I don't know some other beautiful English man he's just he he is the epitome of that he's perfectly cast in this um and Mia Wasikowska is just this gorgeous ethereal looking 
woman who she's the perfect heroine for this because it's not in the 1800s so much it's it's right on the cusp of the new century and so she is more modernized uh, of, of a character and it's really great to see um a character be strong like that and at the same time she she's still fragile but doesn't allow it to weigh her down she still is strong and it's it's really really well done and i loved it so much um i for those that are like oh it's falsely advertised they're saying it's a horror movie well no guillermo del toro in every interview has stated that it's a gothic romance first with some horror elements involved and that's exactly what it is but those horror elements are brutal and i i was telling eric this previously there's something that guillermo del toro really loves in destroying people's faces (laughs) who doesn't he has a thing (laughs) he hates the face he hate he knows that there is something about having you know something being jammed into someone's face or beating the crap out of someone's face till there's no face left i guess it's a loss of identity or they know that, you know, that's like a really sensitive spot and it makes everyone just want to like curl up in a ball and cry. Um, but this movie has a lot of facial destruction in it. Um, and it's it's pretty brutal. It's, it's like I told Eric, it's right up there with Pan's Labyrinth and the bottle scene. And if you've seen Pan's Labyrinth, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's on the par of the bottle scene and it's almost as, as shocking. The bottle scene kind of was pretty pretty intense, but yeah, this is this is equal with that, and also equal with the um, slicing his mouth open with and then drinking liquor. There's there's some of that in there too. I don't know <laughs> what it is with Guillermo del Toro and faces, but he has a thing. Um, so definitely, definitely go go see Crimson Peak if you've been thinking about it and you're not too sure about it. Just go see it. I saw it in the IMAX. It was beautiful. It was so awesome. The sound was amazing. The the score, all of it, just everything is great. And um, just support it because, as he said, it took a lot of you know a lot of his pull with legendary films to get them to allow him to release an R-rated movie like this. And we want to show that. R-rated horror, R-rated thrillers like this, the, that they have an audience. Because if you want more of these, you have to show that. And I don't think it's getting the support it deserves yet. And you really need to go and do that while it's still out there and show the studios that there is an audience. Or you can't, you don't get the right to complain about PG-13 horror movies anymore. <laughs> you don't. I think PG-13 horror movie is kind of a... It's room room temperature fire. What's the point? Yeah, no. But the thing is, you have all these people that love to complain about it. But then when it comes to something like this, they don't go out and support it. So you lose your right to really complain. He's giving you a, a beautiful, gorgeous, dark chocolate treat. And you're not eating it. And you'd rather have this low-cal, low-fat sponge cake over here. 
And that's what you're going to get to eat forever if you don't eat the chocolate cake. <laughs> that's the best metaphor I can come up with. I mean, that's, it's, that's it. So um, Crimson Peak, amazing. Go see it. That's all I have to say about that. Um, so Eric and yes. Carl, I am still sorely behind on The Flash because I have no time. I want a marathon the first season that is on Netflix now. Um, so you can go catch up like I need to. Um, but I'm going to allow these two gentlemen to talk about the flash. The flash being, I believe the best comic book adaptation ever at this point. You're, you're, you're sticking with that. Are you saying like overall counting like movies, everything, any live action adaptation? Yes, I am. Wow. Uh, Not that I've seen every single one. Because, like, I haven't seen Kingsman. Oh. Comic adaptation. But, yes, I'm saying, at least for superhero stuff, I think it is the best adaptation. Wow. That's I, strong. I can't, I can't go that far. I love it. I think it's a great show. I can't go that far. Um, I think, like, things like Daredevil. Um, Daredevil's amazing, and that's yeah. maybe one step behind but yeah, the, I, I, I can't, I can understand, I, I'm not going to besmirch you for saying that. I can't necessarily say that statement myself, but I get where you're coming from with that. The Flash continues to raise the bar as far as superheroes on television go. Uh, this past week's episode, this week that we're in right now, the week of the, today's the 21st. So the new episode aired last night or Monday night? I watched it on Hulu, so I can't. So yeah, it was last night. I just watched it a couple hours ago. Again, another really solid episode. Uh, the characters are kind of starting to really, the chemistry you're seeing is better than ever. It's really growing organically. And you I, like see, those, I like those little scenes in the coffee shop in, in Jitters. Yeah, exactly. You know, where it's just the characters hanging out. And I like the new character, the cop. Yeah, the uh, Penny Patty. Uh, Patty something. Uh, yeah, Patty. I know she's a character from the comics, but I've never really read The Flash. So my my comic knowledge on the character is, is pretty limited. Um, but I definitely know she's from the comics. And they're fitting her into the show nicely. She's kind of that counterpart to Barry where she's got that social awkwardness to her. But she's kind of she's also got that you know tragic past and and wants to make a better world for everyone else. So she's gonna fit right in with the show. And I love that she's a really good. Not that we've seen a lot of it, but we have seen she's a really good cop. She's very competent in her job. Yeah, but her social skills are just. Yeah, she's not. not she's not like the the kooky sidekick or the comic relief that's trying to fit in. She's. They've shown that she's legitimately good at what she does. And now it's just a question of, like, you know, the social skills catching up with her, her police skills. Yes. Uh, I like the, uh, the story, the story, the season's kind of starting to shape up. We, we didn't learn so much more about Zoom this week. There's, there was just some passing message this week kind of focused in, uh, the here and the now other than, advancing the overarching storyline of the season. Um, I thought it was a really solid episode this week dealing with uh, Captain Cold and his family. 
anytime Michael Ironside is in something, <laughs> yes, sign me up. <laughs> sign me up. I'm there. So when do I, we know when Legends of Tomorrow is going to start? I'm just Le- curious. Legends of Tomorrow starts I when It's Arrow mid-season, and, isn't it? Yeah. It's when Arrow and Flash go on hiatus in January. Ah, okay. Gotcha. You're either mm-hmm. like... I think Arrow and Flash go on hiatus in like mid-December, and then Legends of Tomorrow starts up in January. And they're already planting little things. I think this episode of The Flash planted a seed for, for Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, it planted the Captain Cold seed joining the Legends of Tomorrow team, Flash saying that, you know, you know, I know deep down you're not the villain that you think you are. There's like some good in you. Having a whole like you know Luke Skywalker Darth Vader moment to foreshadow future conversations, but also they're planting the seeds in Arrow as well. Uh, this, I actually watched this, tonight's episode. Yeah, this uh, this week's episode, or no, it must have been last week, where I didn't watch tonight's episode yet. Um, but last week the episode ends with uh, Laurel and Thea digging up Sarah's body to take to Nanda Parbat to put in the Lazarus pit. Now, they're going a little off kilter with the the source material. The Lazarus pit doesn't bring someone back who's been dead for as long as Sarah has been dead. But, you know, you take your well, liberties I, here and there. I think Merlin said something about that in tonight's episode. Oh, did it's they? never okay. been... I, I think that's what he said, that, that it's never been used... For someone who's been dead for so long. Yeah, okay. All right, well, at I, least they address I believe. But uh, yeah. I don't normally watch the show, so I enjoyed some of the stuff that went on, but there was a lot that... There's a lot of people that don't do it. Arrow's ne- Arrow hasn't grabbed me. I d- I, I'm going to go back and catch up, but the first few episodes of Arrow that I ever watched, and I watched the uh, one in season one... Uh, another one in season two. I have watched the ones that cross over with The Flash, but it just doesn't, I don't know, doesn't grab me the way The Flash does. The first Arrow kind of suffered the same problem as uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did out of the gate. First five or six episodes were kind of slow. It took a little while to get traction. Once it got traction, it got really good. So I would definitely recommend uh, going back and, and revisiting the season. I'm always willing to give stuff a second try. Yeah, definitely. I mean, kind of power through those first five episodes, and then <laughs> then you're good. Well, the other show that's on the CW that um, Eric and I absolutely love, and this episode was super, super good, was iZombie. And I am just loving it. And you're right. Um, the guy that plays Vaughn, and I'm blanking on his name right Steven now. Weber. Steven Weber. Is playing that all the men in this, except for two of them, are scum. <laughs> That's the thing about this show. And Stephen Weber and Blaine are just the sleaziest, most scummy guys um, in this. And I love this episode. I, I love how Liv really, they, he's so cute when she does <laughs> these like switcheroos. And this one, she really played up. It was the real dead housewife of Seattle. Yeah. And um, she becomes the epitome of your typical um, rich housewife. And um, it's just a great, great episode. And we see the return of Peyton finally in this. Yay! Which I know a lot of people were waiting for. Well, now, I think I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago, 
on the show that I wasn't thrilled with the first episode of this new season. Grumpy old Liv, yeah. Uh, it, it, it didn't thrill me, but these last two episodes, it's back up to, to form and uh, just really fun again and, and interesting. And it's got all the great subplots. And yeah, Steven Weber was fantastic. His delivery of the line uh, when he just said, burn, because <laughs> she insulted him. And then when he just dodges the, she throws yeah. the drink at him casually how many times has that happened to him you gotta wonder (laughs) he just casually leans to the side and it goes past him well in this one we find out too that his assistant is actually his daughter yeah yeah they casually kind of like drop that if it wasn't for all the married women i sleep with you wouldn't be here yeah it was like oh there's a nice line and of course you've got major getting on with her which i'm sure Liv's gonna love that and just um it's interesting to see i thought it was cute how when ravi and um peyton hug they both kind of like sniffed each other like oh there it is you know I, that was very sweet <laughs> that was very subtle they have some really the, the actors on this show are great and everybody seems to be like a really awesome fun person to work with too i mean on twitter even they're great and uh, Babino was like the one character at the beginning that I was that didn't like. He's funny. Uh, I didn't I didn't dislike him. I just there was nothing there for me. But he's really really grown on me, and I loved how they showed the contrast between he and Ravi. Yeah. When he fights them out, and Ravi goes on and on and on and on about his plans and why he can't go out, and then Babino's just like can't busy. <laughs> and then poor Liv, all she was wanting was someone to be with her on her birthday. Aww. But she got a cake. I know, which she probably can't taste. Add some hot sauce. Unless it's, I love the, I love the fact that she got like hot burning cinnamon alcohol. Yes, that of was course. that was great. But um, I have to say, yeah, the the ending of the episode and Doctor Holland coming out and looking <laughs> emaciated <laughs> and gross and like your typical zombie makes me think that they're just going out of their way to maximize the zombie effect. Well, yeah, I, I think obviously they've kept him away from eating anything because we've already learned that if if these zombies don't have a fresh supply or a steady supply, I should say, of they, brains, they, yeah. they turn into the typical walkers. Um, so they obviously they're keeping him isolated and away from food. Yeah. Uh, so that he'll be readily available to attack people when they want him to. <laughs> or something. I don't know. It's just like he looked bad. So I'm I'm very, very excited to see where they go with this season. Um, I, I love iZombie. I hope it sticks around. And I once again, I have to call out Robert Nepper being added to the cast as Blaine's mm-hmm. father is perfect casting. No Blaine this week. No Blaine this week, but we but got Stephen him and his, made up for it. Yeah, and we got him and his dad, and Robert Nepper is a zombie because yeah. he, he changed his own father, and he's <laughs> his father does not know that his son is not a zombie. Yeah, so that's going to be interesting. And Carl's probably like, I don't know what the hell they're talking about? I'm, I'm well not. <laughs> if I'm not I'm just, mistaken, I'm, I'm just sitting here playing the jewel blitz. You guys. <laughs> If if memory serves, Blaine is now doing the reverse of what he did in the first season, which was have himself made up to look human. Yeah, exactly. Now he's 
trying to make himself look like a zombie. Exactly. At I, least, obviously, in front of his father or maybe some other people. Right. I find that funny. That's hilarious. And he's still a player. You got to give him that. Oh, yeah. He's keeping his hand in. Uh, yeah, I have a friend of mine that was just introduced. No, My friend, Noel, just got introduced to iZombie, and she's fallen madly in love with David Anders over it. And I and she's local. She's up in Portland. And I told her, I'm like, you do realize he's here all the time because he's from Oregon. People keep thinking he's from Britain. He's not. He's from Oregon. So, yeah. Oregon, England? Yeah, Oregon, England. People thought he was British because of Heroes. Because he did a dead on. He was just like James Marsters. He he does that great British accent. He does a really Wait, good James accent. Marsters isn't British either? No. Next, you're going to tell me that isn't American. Who? You're going to tell me Hugh Laurie isn't American? Remember when people were shocked by that, too? Yeah. Um, So, anyway, iZombie, great. Yes. (laughs) Knocking it out of the park, third episode. Um, So, something happened this week that came out. Oh. Something happened. I don't. I don't know. Do you know? I heard something happened. Uh, there was some sort of sports game. There was a sports game. That's right. The ball. There was a ball being pitched back and forth. <laughs> now, here's no. where I'm an anomaly when it comes to geek because I actually watch football as well. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like watching the game regardless. My sister was too, and she was laughing at me like, I'm so funny. You were watching the game for that, and I was watching it because it's a football game. I'm like, you're not my I sister. I was at work, so I wasn't watching anything. Um, but yes, yeah, Star Wars. We got the trailer, and I'm assuming that this is the final trailer, but I don't yeah, know. That's what, that's what I keep hearing. I've said that this is the final trailer. Yeah, because I'm if sure they we'll get. I'm, I'm sure we'll get some TV spots with some slightly different footage. Yeah. But as far as, like, full-length theatrical trailers go, this is the last one. And it was a doozy, and I immediately went back and watched it eight times to figure <laughs> some, th- some things out. And there was one thing. So this is our this is the primary discussion right now before we bring on our interview segment with the awesome uh, Daniel who did the um, – Empire, who was doing the Empire Pictures documentary. Um but I wanted to for sure talk about Star Wars this episode uh, and do some discussion with you guys because I'm assuming that you all watched it too and you picked up on a few hints um, that um, were given away in this trailer other than the fact that, hey, look, at Princess Leia and she actually looks (laughs) like her age should be. Holy crap! Um, Which I liked. Um, But one thing, I'm, I'll do mine first, and then I'll give it over to you guys to take a turn. The one thing I picked up on immediately in the two seconds of time that was granted it is Poe, who is the X-Wing pilot, um, I think is going to end up being a bad guy. And the reason for that is there's a very brief shot of him um, with Kylo Ren, and uh, it looks like he's getting whammied with like a red light and then they cut there's a scene where they cut to him and finn meeting one another and the voiceover goes jedi and you know a dark side and the jedi and when the voice says i think it's han solo when it says dark side 
that's when Poe's on the screen. And when he says Jedi, that's when Finn shows up. It's very subtle. But I am taking away from that that Poe is going to be a bad guy. I've heard a number of theories, and that's not one of them until now. Yeah, if you go back and watch the trailer, go back and watch the trailer. I think he's a he's going to end up being um, co- corrupted into the dark side, and that's what that's hinting at. Um, but uh, let's. I'm going to toss this over to Carl next. Carl, what is what was something that you took away from it? Um, I wasn't necessarily looking for like things to like plot lines to unveil or things like that. I was just excited to see another trailer. And what I like that they did with this trailer, we live in a time where so often the entire <laughs> movie is given away in the trailer. Exactly. You're going to say exactly what I was planning on saying, so go ahead. And they just and and they just didn't do that with this. They didn't show us any more than we have already seen. They, they just showed it to us in a slightly different way. We got a little more Han, a little more Chewy. We got some Princess Leia. Um, but as far as like, like J.J. Abrams is smart. He knows he already has our money. As, as of right now, this movie has already made $6 million. Yep. And it's two months away from its release. And that's only so, because Fandango broke. <laughs> yeah. It's it's probably it probably would have made a lot more. It's obviously going to make more by the time it comes out. Uh, the the pre ticket sales have shattered the existing record, which was held by the Hunger Games. Um, and JJ is being very smart because he knows he already has our money. He's not showing his hand in the in these previews. In all the previews we've seen so far, the teaser the first full trailer, and now the second and final full trailer. We've gotten essentially the same thing. It's been polished a little differently, but there's not too much there that makes you think, oh, I know that you know this is going to happen, that's going to happen. Obviously, people are going to draw conclusions. I'm not saying just that your theory is, is wrong. I mean, obviously, you can definitely see that as a possibility, the way they set up the trailer. I just, that's but one of the I, things I, I just, enjoy, of, I take yeah. away from it, as I enjoy trying to figure out things. And I have to say, Star Trek Into Darkness, I figured out 75% of it from the very short trailers that we had. Yeah. And that's, that's like a trailer that is not see putting it, putting together is a good, a good trailer is kind of a lost art form. Mm-hmm. Cause just, they give away the movie in the trailer. They, yeah, no, they, they, you basically see the films anymore. That, that's one of the things with the three and a half minute long trailers I feel like I've already seen your movie. I don't need yeah. to see anymore. I it's, mean, what, what I've loved about everything leading up to this point, everything that we've seen as far as trailers and things like that go, it feels right. It feels like Star Wars. The prequels never felt like Star Wars. Well, they, this is just <laughs> how they how they start them off, how they shot them, how the music comes into play it it feels like a star wars movie i never yeah. felt that from the other ones no they look no, too never... slick they look too polished fake yeah you know it was when way back when when they when they released that first teaser 
the the first time we saw any footage of it, like I sat down on my computer, I'm like, okay, tempered expectations, been gone. It's 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 been the dark times more or less as far as Star Wars go, uh, with all we've had in the past twenty years or so, the prequels. Um, so I sat down that first trailer, and they started showing some stuff, and you know I was like, all right, this looks kind of cool. But the second the Millennium Falcon roared onto the screen. Everybody cried. The, it's not that everybody cried. It's like the six-year-old inside of me that never knew, like, cynicism or sarcasm or or never been burned by anything that he was passionate about, who just knew that that joy of that thing that was Star Wars in his life just ripped out, and I just started cheering. I'm alone in my room, and I am cheering. <laughs> Because the Millennium Falcon is back, and that just triggers so much of what feels right about this new movie. And I hope I'm I'm mostly sure that they will deliver on it. And I just I can't wait for December. And I I just love the fact that it just some of the scenes are hearkening. You know, Abrams knows he's a geek. He he knows what we love yeah. about it, and the shots that he's shown us of. Han Solo and Chewie, the first time we see them is a complete redo of that original shot of them standing there next yeah. to each other. Oh, and, yeah. and then this scene, people are freaking out because there's Leia and he's hugging her and holding her. And he's, he looks like the two of them from um, when they were on um, Endor, you know, yeah. it's them, it's them. And the, the big thing for me too, is the fact that, Carrie Fisher looks like Leia would look. They haven't yeah. they they haven't made her super glamorous. She's just still beautiful, mm-hmm. and and she looks her age, and that's awesome. They don't have her made up. They don't have her digitally changed. She looks like Leia would look, and it's great. And I I just it makes me so happy, and um I I, I just absolutely loved it. Uh, Eric, your turn. All right. Well, I was going to uh, talk about the same thing that Carl did, that it doesn't really tell you anything about the story. And I think if you haven't read anything about it online and just saw that trailer, you would have no clue exactly what the story was. The specific story, which I think is a good thing. You're going to be excited about it. It looks amazing. But it doesn't give away, in my opinion, it doesn't give away anything at all. No. Absolutely nothing. And I do like Kylo Ren, without, not that we see much of it, but Kylo Ren without his helmet on. Right. As he's about to fight in his little lightsaber, little lightsaber duel. I'm sure it'll be a simple scene. <laughs> With that, trife- that trifecta saber <laughs> that he's got, yeah. But, uh, yeah, of course it looks amazing. The music is amazing. Um but my big takeaway was I couldn't – if that's all I saw and someone asked me what the movie was about, I couldn't tell you. I could tell you what was in the trailer and describe it, but I could not tell you the story, which, again, is a great thing. And, of course, the big thing is where's Luke? Yeah, everybody – that's the big thing that a lot of people are asking, and now everyone – and I and this is complete crap because we saw in the trailer Kylo Ren has long, dark hair. You see him. You know what he looks like with the helmet off already. Um, 
and they're all saying Kylo Ren is Luke. The other thing a lot of people are 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 saying, um, and I think Luke's in the trailer. I think that's him petting R, you know, R two on the head, but you don't see his face. But the other thing a lot of people are are trying to say is that Kylo Ren and um, Ray are the Solo twins, and they've been separated like Luke and Leia were. Now, I don't know if that's going to be the case or not, because this, the Solo twins are considered the trashed canon that they're not they're not following anymore. It's called Legends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I'm I'm more of a mind and I think this is what's going to happen. And I could be completely wrong. This is just me talking is that. Uh, that uh, Ray is going to end up being Luke's daughter. And I think she's going to end up being the the dark side i think she's going to be tempted and it may very well be luke's death that pushes her over because we see that little brief shot (laughs) of her crying over someone's body um and i think what's going to happen is uh finn is han's son from his first wife which we've now had established in canon (laughs) and he's going to be a jedi I think that's what's going to happen. And that's, you know, and, and that, there you go. I, that's my, my guess um, with the whole where's Luke talk. He's in it. We know he's in it. But he's not, I don't think he's Kylo Ren. No, he's not Kylo Ren. He's the puppet master pulling Kylo Ren's strings. Possibly. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> one of those things where, like, I don't normally, I enjoy this type of speculation and, like, fully gun-ho in it. This time, I just, I'm like, you know what? I just want to experience it. I, you know, I'm, obviously everything you says, you can definitely make a case for. Um, I th- except maybe the Finn being Solo's son. Just when you look at the timeline and Finn's approximate age, that would mean that Han would have had to, you know, kind of gotten with what's been established as his wife, like, during Star, during Star Wars. Uh, hey! Why yeah. not? He's a scoundrel. <laughs> he is! <laughs> it's, it's little a little booty call on. <laughs> it's, it's a special edition scene that hasn't been he, put in yet. He's not but, always um, on screen. We don't know what he's doing. That's true. But no, I, I just I, I just want to experience it and just kind of let it happen naturally to sound kind of weird about it. Um, but I'm definitely looking forward to it. Oh, the um, one thing I know I wanted we wanted to talk about um, is the yanking on our heartstrings and making us cry a little bit with battlefront yes oh my god let's let's get in this that's okay, the other so, trailer the yeah, other star here's wars the thing. Trailer. here's the thing the star wars for force awakens the movie trailer fantastic loved it got me really excited half the time of that trailer is a television commercial for a new game coming out called star wars battlefront now, before we get into the game, because I had a chance to play it in the beta, let's talk about this commercial. This commercial is one minute long. It's like a minute and change. And in that minute, it fully encompasses what it feels like to have grown up with Star Wars and to love Star Wars and to have that become like a thing in your life again. And to have that friend or brother or sister yes. that you shared that with. Yeah, so... Dissecting this commercial, okay, this commercial opens up, this guy's in an office, and he's like, he's working late, 
and he's clearly kind of disgruntled about where he is in life and whatnot. And he's, he's working away in office and he picks up this, <clears throat> excuse me, this old beat up original R2D2 action figure. It's like, it's not a collector's item. It's clearly worn down and been played with and, and everything that so many of us had when we were kids and he's just looking at it. And then it goes into this flashback sequence of over his life, these moments that he shared with his friend enjoying star Wars. Like the first scene is them as like little kids and they're like drawing pictures with crayon. You see star Wars toys around the drawing star Wars pictures. And then flash forwards a couple of years later, one is dressed as Yoda. The other is dressed as Darth Vader and they're trick or treating then we have another flash forward where they're like they're trick or treating again. I they're trick or treating again as like Chewbacca and a Jedi, and like they're five or six years older. And then we've got like a like a mid teenage scene of a birthday party, and they've got like an R two D two cake. Each and of so, each of them have an R two D two cake. Each, yeah, each of them have a cake. And then we see this guy back in the office. He's he's like reminiscing. He's looking at the Star Wars action figure. All of a sudden, everything starts to shake like an oh, earthquake is happening. Don't don't forget the the lightsaber battles with yeah, the oh my God, with the flashlights and that thing that every kid did at some point. Like they're having a sleepover and they're having a lightsaber battle with flashlights and they're making the sound effects with their with their mouths or like. Boom, and I wanted boom. I wanted the go karts. The go karts yes. were awesome. Yes, the go kart. They like dressed up their bikes is an X-Wing and a TIE fighter, and they're chasing each other around. I mean, you, they've clearly established that Star Wars has been an important uh, bonding factor in these two guys' friendship. And so we're back, back in the office, and all of a sudden everything starts to shake like it's an earthquake. And we see outside a window an X-Wing rise up outside the window. And this guy is like, obviously, what's going on? This is the real world. He looks out into the X-Wing cockpit, and it's his friend the friend that he's had in all these memories. And then the second X-Wing pulls up and the cockpit is empty and R2 is in the droid position. And this guy just like, and they open up the cockpit. This guy picks up an office chair, throws it out the window and then jumps onto the X-Wing. And then they pull away and go after TIE fighters. And they show this like very quick action montage. And what makes is the guy just like screaming out like Yahoo like yeah, like, and, Land, and like would, Lando at the end of Jedi. We would do this. This is what yeah, all of yeah. us would do. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the first time I saw it, I was like, wow, that's that's kind of a cool commercial. The second time I saw it, I found myself like really dissecting it and going, okay, this is showing how a lot of us have kind of fallen into like a mundane rut and we've forgotten the wonderment of being a child and the wonderment of, of like having something like this that affects us. And remembering that and then this thing coming back again to kind of break us out of that mundane run, to allow us to, to dream again and to have those fantasies again. And when I, when I dissected it, I'd, I'd watch it again. It's just like, seriously, it is such an emotional piece. And it's a minute-long advertisement for a video game. They better, they better win an award for that. Is it was so incredibly done. I've watched it numerous times, and it's just it's like I I posted it, and then you you uh, shared it. You said it made you weepy. Yeah, I was um, I was actually tearing up. Yeah, Eric, I don't know if you've had a chance to see it yet. I have not seen that. 
Definitely look it up. Like, yeah. just look up on YouTube. Look up Star Wars Battlefield commercial. It's like one minute and change. Yeah, just yeah like, it's Star and, Wars Battlefront, and it and it's the new one. So it yeah. just came out this week. Yeah, I was watching footage of the game. <laughs> and no, this this is <laughs> I don't even know if it's the real footage of the game. But speaking of the game, um, yes. they just released word that the Emperor Leia and I think Han are all going to be playable characters in the game. Yep. There's going to be, um, they announced another mode of like heroes versus villains. So it's going to be a, like a story character heavy mode. Whereas in the other modes of the game, you're just kind of playing like a rebel trooper or a Imperial trooper. Um, the they did a beta of the game that lasted about five days and I spent a good amount of time with the beta um, and let me preface this by saying is that I've been a gamer my entire life and like, I obviously like I'm into comics and things like that, but star Wars is that thing that's on top of the hill. Star Wars is like first and foremost, this is easily just from the beta, the single most immersive star Wars experience I have ever had in a video game. See, I don't want to buy it. I don't want to have to buy this because they have not put a campaign, single player, really anything in it. Well, here's the thing. And I get your points about one. But the Battlefront games have never been about single player campaigns. The Battlefront campaigns are essentially a toy box that you go in and play with. I know, like, but you want to uh... go, but there's plenty, like if you want like single player story stuff like that, there's plenty of other stuff out there. If they were trying to advertise this as a single player experience, I would say, yeah, you got a You got a valid point there, but they're not trying to advertise it like that. They're saying, listen, this is an online multiplayer experience. The, we're giving you all these great toys to play with. Just go have fun. And it is like everything, the the detail they have gone to in this game. We were talking about how um, all the Force Awakens trailers and everything feels like Star Wars. This feels like Star Wars. Yeah, Every my... little minor detail down to like the way smoke looks, the way explosions look, the way they sound is just absolutely incredible. Oh, I know my husband, uh, I couldn't get it to work on my computer because the drivers for the beta were um, wonky. And by the time I got the correct drivers, it was gone. But he played it and I was watching him play it and it looked so good. And it looked like a Star Wars movie. It, the the, the yeah. graphical oh, displays yeah. that, that were on in the ships and things like that, they, they looked just like it. It was, it was amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it's for me. It's a day one purchase, no hesitation. Um, so, Carl, I know that you wanted to talk about. We got about two minutes um, to talk <laughs> about comic books, Star Wars comics that you wanted to talk about before got, we go to our interview segment. Yep, got two quick ones. First one is Star Wars: Shattered Empire, which is a series that's being done. Takes place. It's headline: The Journey to Star Wars: Force Awakens. It takes place immediately after Return of the Jedi and just kind of tells the story of events that uh, lead up to Jedi. Greg Rucka is the writer and Marco Chetio, I'm probably butchering that last name, I apologize. Uh, Greg Rucka is the writer, Chetio is the artist. The art's fantastic. The writing's been really good. 
this is a really solid series if you want. It looks like it, I think it's almost coming out almost here weekly or biweekly. Um, so I'm sure that when this is done, it's a limited series. Uh, when it's done, there will be a nice trade out if you want to pick it up for that, if you don't want to grab single issues. The second title I have is the Star Wars Darth Vader solo title. Uh, this is done by writer Kieran Gillian and artist Salvatore, Salvador uh, La Roca. This title is kind of losing me a bit. This is issue 11, and it the story's kind of, I don't want to say lost its way, but it's not really exciting anymore. At some point, Darth Vader, right now Darth Vader's just kind of trying to hunt down. Uh, he knows Luke Skywalker destroyed the Death Star. And it's just about him hunting him down and this like little like smuggler, this female smuggler he's incorporated. Uh, the only thing that kind of keeps me coming back to this title are the smuggler has a uh, protocol droid and astromech droid and they are homicidal psychopaths. <laughs> which Gotta just, love that. That's it's awesome. just really funny to see some things that look like uh, obviously they have different color schemes and everything, but like the protocol droid loves to interrogate and torture and the astromech droid is just like a rolling arsenal so <laughs> what are the chances the droids get a spin-off title if they got a spin-off title i would be on board i would uh, be all over right, that right now they're pretty much the only thing keeping me coming back to this book so yeah definitely look in the shattered empire uh darth vader check out the first couple issues and trade if you want before jumping into it because i think it's kind of losing its way Gotcha. Well, everybody, um, I hope you enjoyed our discussion of the upcoming Star Wars film. And I'm curious to see if my predictions and the predictions of other people out there are going to be true or not on this. It's uh, I I it's a thing I do. I go back and I rewatch and I just put together and um, J.J. Abrams is not giving anything away. So it's all talking out of our asses. That's a good thing, though. It is. It totally yeah. is. I, I love it. Um, but uh, so now um, we're going to go to our interview segment where Daniel Griffiths, who is the man behind some really amazing documentaries about old school films, and he is part of Shout Factory's releases. He works on all the MST3K releases, doing documentaries for those releases about the movies being riffed on, which is phenomenal. And um, he is currently doing a Kickstarter for celluloid wizards in the video wastelands the saga of empire pictures these are the guys that are responsible for movies like reanimator robojocks um and from beyond some classic stuff and um he's working towards getting this funded so he can make a documentary to do justice to these movies and um this is definitely the guy to do it so um daniel griffith is up next we will see you actually next week next week's halloween yay and that means that means the fangirl radio halloween special zoinks and yes zoinks is the word and we are going to have two very special guest stars in that and um, I wouldn't call myself a guest star. Well, I, we'll have plenty of guest stars. <laughs> um, I would call myself special, though. Oh, <laughs> God, the ego of Mel's. Um, so we will have two very special guest stars in that. I am very excited to say one of them is Mr. Mark Muir and the other is Mr. Doug Jones. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I'm very excited. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, and that will be next week's episode. And it's a very Scooby Dooby. Very <laughs> Scooby Dooby. In a world where the fangirls do a Scooby Doo parody. <laughs> God help us all. <laughs> so um, with that, here comes Mr. Daniel Griffith, and we will see, be booing you next week on Fangirl Radio. Hey, everybody. I want ent- to um, introduce his first time on Fangirl Radio, Mr. Daniel Griffith, and he is the man behind the upcoming um, it's actually in Kickstarter right now, but I have every faith that everyone that I know will come through on this and donate to the cause. Celluloid Wizards in the Video Wasteland, the saga of Empire Pictures. It's a new documentary, and it is about all of the awesome that was Empire Pictures. So welcome to Fangirl Radio, Daniel. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Um So when I saw the trailer for this, I was blown away just by the sheer amount of memories that it brought up and the the sheer amount of films that Empire wasn't around for a very long time, but the amount of movies that they produced in that time frame is astounding and how many are still like popular with horror fans, sci-fi fans and, and movie fans in general. Yeah, it's it's kind of a diverse bunch of movies with really strange characters, and um, and it, it, I guess the odd thing about uh, Empire is that you know all the all the filmmakers, really starting with Charles Band, they're kind of telegraphing the type of B movie experience that came in the '50s and the '60s with companies like American International Pictures and Allied Artists. Movies that were made by William Castle. Um, there are these these hints of different types of influences, and, and I guess they really just kind of channeled into this wacky world of um, you know trolls and and ghoulies and trancers and so. <laughs> headless creatures trying to make out with your girlfriend is always nice. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so what brought you because i know i i've seen your work history and what you do and you do a lot of great stuff with classic films and um making ofs and and um featurettes for for video what brought you into being the film fan that you are and specifically what made you such a, a fanatic for um empire well <laughs> i like most people especially in this industry, I began with higher aspirations. Um, I, the, the goal was always to be a film director, to make fictional narrative films. And, um, and as that became a little bit more difficult to get off the ground, you have different projects you develop and so forth, I, I decided, well, I, I really consider myself a visual storyteller and I want to tell stories how can I tell a story and really just be dependent upon me and whatever income I could scrap together? And I thought, well, I love the medium of documentaries that have since I was a kid, um, whether it be film or television documentaries. I grew up watching a lot of a lot of In Search Of mm-hmm. and a lot of the uh, Chicks on Classic documentaries, um, you know, that that would you know, first populate drive-ins, but then in my age, they would make their way on video and certainly on television. Um, but I love that. I love film history, always have. So I thought I would 
explore kind of the obscure aspects of film history, uh, find different filmmakers or film distributors, um, or in this case, a film company, and and really dissect it, you know what made it a success and uh, you know what led to its demise and why are these elements uh, not remembered anymore? I mean, what what made them kind of you know, sort of seep into the cracks, you know, in film history. And I, I, I look at Empire as being a little bit more, a little bit more successful. It certainly resonates better than some of the other stuff I've done. But, um, but starting off in that process led really to me working for Shout Factory on the Mystery Science Theater 3000 box sets. And I started producing documentaries that were, that were centered around the making of the movies that were being riffed on the episodes. And, um, and through that, I sort of gained a kind of an admiration for the underdog when it comes to motion pictures. And I thought, well, these people that made these movies are neglected and, you know, now it's kind of their time to talk. And, and that concept certainly made its way into the empire documentary when, uh, even with the trailer that was launched with the campaign, I was really playing off the idea that you may remember these characters, you may remember these films, there's something that you'll connect to here. Um, well, their time has come. They're, you know, they're coming to you in this story, and at last you're going to kind of learn everything that came together to make these films possible. And um, so that's kind of where Empire came about. Nice. So um, I got to ask if you, um, because of, of your love of these and how, you're, how you, your stuff reminds me of um, uh, old seri- older series that I used to watch on cable called The Incredibly Strange Film Show with Jonathan Ross. Did you ever catch that when it was on? Uh, yeah, I, I, I did. Um, and... I guess one could say maybe there is a, a, I guess a minor influence when it comes to that. I mean, there's, there, there's certain things that I'm aware of from my childhood growing up, whether it be film or documentary that I, I obviously pull from because I just love the style and I love the way um, things are presented. Mm-hmm. And um, when I, when I create a documentary, I typically try to channel the era and and focus a little bit on you know how their marketing department would push a film or um you know how the artists that would devise the posters and and illustrate these um, these amazing visuals to get butts into the seats um I, I would really i'd really focus on that aspect and and bring that into the overall aesthetic of the documentary um and and that and it works in a way. In some ways, I get a little bit more experimental. Um, I did a documentary about the making of uh, Beast of Yucca Flats, which you laugh, and um, uh, you know no one would ever expect a making of documentary on the Beast of Yucca Flats. But um, I, I took an approach that was a little different. I, I I went further with that project than I have as far as fusing the style of the movie with the style of the documentary. And um, I went as far as to have kind of a disembodied narrator, just like the film has kind of a disembodied narration. And 
instead of showing the interview subjects speaking, I would cut to them in those little brief moments where they've finished saying what they're going to say. So you see them on screen and they're not doing anything. For just a <laughs> and then I cut back and that kind of plays off these Yucca Flats because you never actually see the person talking. Um, uh, they're always obstructed in some way, whether it be, you know, you're shooting through the window of a car and a person, you can't see what they're saying or, or the framing would be slightly off. Um, uh, so it's, it's just, it's kind of a wacky thing to do, but I, I try to work that into everything. That is awesome. Very cool. I, I appreciate that greatly. I am a huge, and I know Eric is too, a huge MST3K fan. And I love, I love all the stuff that you've been doing with them. Uh, it's, it's amazing. That's one of the things well, that kept me going in school too, along with Empire <laughs> Pictures. Um, Eric, do you have a question? I don't want to like, I don't want to hog all of them. <laughs> I will if I can, but you no, know, go ahead. All right. Well, uh, Daniel, in in my mind, I've always kind of uh, melded Empire and Full Moon sort of as one entity. Do you think it's important to keep them separate? Um, I, I do. When I started this project, you know, it, it it kind of it came up that maybe I should just make this about, you know, Charles Band and and deal with Empire and deal with Full Moon. Um, I think the full moon story and the empire story are kind of the same story, different circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, now, however, I think there is a wealth of material to talk about full moon. Um, and there's their own wealth of material to talk about what leads up to empire. Um, I kind of, I kind of thought if I was going to tell this story, I'll start with just empire but really, the documentary sets a foundation that goes back before Empire. I mean, it, it, it explores um, our band, uh, Charles and Richard Band's father, explores their, their youth growing up and the different film projects that Charles Band would find himself involved in and what would lead to different things like, you know, the creation of a you know, VHS company, um, marketing to you know, video, video stores that are basically starting to spring up across the nation and also dabbles into, you know, his wizard label and wizard games, all, all these different aspects. It, it, it really, it really delves into that before it gets into the, the creation of M empire. And I think the, the impetus of that really come from him making the film metal storm and how metal storm and his experiences dealing with Universal, um, I mean, it just slowly evolved into you know, maybe I should have my own company and, and be able to be responsible for the distribution and make the distribution deals as well as make the movies. And so I, I really wanted to just, if I was going to deal with all that as a prologue, if I was going to set that foundation and really give the story what it deserves as far as you understanding where this guy came from and what his influences were, uh, then I, I didn't want to cheat the empire story by encapsulating it to what would be maybe 30 minutes. So I could get mm -hmm. right into the full moon story. Um, if this documentary is successful and, and people like the way that I've woven the story together, then, then I would have no problems tackling 
full moon as its own project. Um, and, and I say almost like a sequel to the empire documentary. Now you have this full moon documentary. So I suppose it, it kind of helps that the, the empire story has ended, whereas full moon is still going on. So you have that sort of space that, you know, you're covering and you don't have to worry about what's coming after. Right. Right. Um, and, and there is, there's a really, there is a defining end to the empire story. It's right. not like, you know, you're, you're watching a documentary and, and it's like, Oh, and then he went off and did this. It, it may really, the empire story comes to a dramatic conclusion. Um, but it does sort of leave that, that little hint of, you know, what's to come. Mm-hmm. So um, I, well, I have a couple of questions for you, and I'm, like, going through my brain like crazy trying to figure out. All right, so my first question is – or second question, I guess it would be um, – is uh, I had a friend of mine state something that was kind of interesting, and that is children of the 80s like us um, tend to are, really hold on to this stuff. We love our – old school VHS we you know we've kept that alive as fans we hold on to our toys we love just the nostalgia factor more so than like it seems any other age of of generation um why do you think that is I well I mean you're asking why why are children of certain generations you know continue like, like the, yeah like i i can't let go of reanimator it's like it's ingrained in me i have i've loved that movie since i first saw it and i still buy things of it i still buy copies of the movie why do we hold on to these things like this well i think i think for the most part all of us want to preserve certain aspects of our our youth um, childhood memory is really important for us because we, if we connect to it, then we connect to a certain amount of innocence that we had um, before we became adults and certain aspects of the world around us uh, influence and affect us. Um, certainly affects our personality. It might affect our emotional state. Um, uh, when we have different demands on us, different responsibilities to look back at your childhood and sort of touch the elements that, that gave you joy. Um, I mean, that, that's something that resonates. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's tied to a specific, you know, era or decade. I mean, kids that grew up in the eighties respond to, you know, eighties related nostalgia, but, um, but I mean, there are people that grew up, uh, watching movies in the 50s and and watching television in the 50s or reading comics in the 50s or listening to music in the 50s. I mean, it's like, you know, the, it, we're, we love to revisit that time period because it does connect us to a more simple time. Um, and, and I think that that, that's, that that is an aspect of even doing this documentary. For me, um, doing the projects for, let's say, Mr. Science Theater or I did a documentary on the legacy of the Twilight Zone for Image and CBS Films. Um, you know, I was dealing with the culture of a different of a different era, and and certainly uh, something that predates my own era. And 
and it was the it was the fun nostalgic things that a whole generation of people that I would come to know and work with on other projects. I mean, it was their joy. It was their childhood. Um, and I never really get an opportunity to deal with subject matter that's specific to my childhood. You know, I, I spent um, I spent hours upon hours on Saturday mornings at a video store uh, just hanging out and reading the boxes and and connecting the names of people that did one thing to you know the box of, of doing another and and I, I mean I just I spent a lot of time uh, loving these movies and understanding these movies and and being able to do a documentary that taps into that is really a way for me to visually express uh, what I experienced as a child and and that that above all is maybe the reason why I got involved in doing this documentary. But really in the end, I had dealt with different eras and I thought that, you know, it was time to deal with something that was in the eighties that was kind of a mini major in the eighties an ambitious B movie company. And, you know, their trials dealing with the changing market where, you know, VHS was starting to really boom and um, how one would have to be a bit of an innovator. And I think that Charles Band, um, above all, he was, he was, he was an innovator. Uh, he was wildly imaginative. Uh, I think that he had the capability of foreseeing where certain markets were going. And no matter what anybody says about Charles Band, um, uh, I think not a single person would deny his ability to um, to market and get people excited about a product. Totally. That's a great answer. Um, and I was one of those, like, I, and I know Eric probably was too, is I'm, I miss those video store days where you could just do that. You know, isn't it? It's wild that there's generations now when you talk about video stores, it seems a bit archaic. It's like, it's like, really? Video stores? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, there were pyramids and... <laughs> <laughs> there was this and, Easter and was, Island, and then there was this video store. <laughs> the mom and pop video stores were incredible, and I did I too would the the box art on those movies, and that then read the grab the people read the back copy, and I actually um, got to know the people that owned the, our video store, and after a while, when they would take them down, I got the posters for Trancers and Reanimator. And and all of those movies. Well, the, there's a poster in my office, my Ballyhoo office right now, that is the poster for Eliminators. And it's the poster <sighs> that I got from the video store when I was a kid, when they took it down from the, the wall. So, um, so I, I, mean, had that, I had that same experience. I had that one. I had that one. I fell in love with the man board. I, I loved him so much. <laughs> oh, my God. And I remember watching that movie. I, I actually – I used to do this horrible thing as a kid. I steal the video boxes. Oh, that's bad. I know. But you know what? That minute was always in if I wanted to rent it. Well, that's true. Yeah. I could just go, I, I can't find the box, but can you see if that's in there? Yeah, I was horrible as a kid with that because I couldn't, I couldn't get the poster, but I could get the little one on the box. Um, yeah, I think I think I did that once or twice where you take, um, like, you know, I, I, I had to leave the store, but I would be coming back, you know, in a couple of hours or, or whatever. I would take the box and I would I would hide it under the shelves, you know, <laughs> like in the center sections, just kind of hide it under there. And, 
and uh, no one would know. And and by the way, people listening to this that don't remember this, but you know, they, you know, before Blockbuster, I mean, video stores they put out the box, and you took the box up to the person at the counter, and they would take the box and they'd file it on the shelf and give you a clamshell case with the VHS. It's <laughs> so a little bit of education for you. There's people that are thinking. What's the box have to do with it? Yeah, God, God. See, kids, a videotape was this thing. (laughs) This was back in the days when videotapes were like $200 a pop or $100, $150. I remember my sister dropped $120 to buy the the Jack Palance's Dracula Elvira hosted version. (laughs) And it came in that giant box because the Elvira movies always came in that big giant cardboard box. And I couldn't believe she spent that much on a movie. It just, to me, that was amazing. That was a lot of money back then for those. And now it's like that you could buy it for $5. It's true. It's like in a bargain bin. Yeah. You, you could probably get Elvira to show up at your house for a oh, God. <laughs> She should have waited for that annual sale that all those pop mom and pop shops had. Oh, man. Where they sell off the old stock because they had to make room for the... For the, the new stuff, stuff coming. I remember renting the VHS player because we didn't own one to watch the Elvis 76 special. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, I'm old. Um, so one question I had about, about the documentary itself is the this, um, this was like the time, other than Hellraiser, um, Empire Pictures had at least two Clive Barker themed films um it was uh rawhead rex and underworld which a lot of people forget about do you talk about the fact that they kind of went the route of like the roger corman's with um the works of hb lovecraft and clive barker by utilizing um literature well okay there's something interesting about those titles i mean those titles started to work into the empire story about the time where um Charles Band was kind of being is being influenced by the money men to um, to start acquiring like foreign assets and distributing like you have, and so like a movie being made in the UK or um, you know, for instance that being the best example there but it's just um, it's, you know these certain films that were being produced being able to um, distribute them mainly on video in the United States. Um, but but that aspect is you know, relatable to that. I, I don't know how much how much say or control uh, he had on those films, with the exception of the fact that you know movies were coming to him about this time for distribution, and he was turning away a lot of stuff. Um, those titles, along with a few others, I mean, they, they did kind of you know make the cut. Um, but as far as how involved, because I'm a huge Clive Barker fan, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, those films uh, in particular, uh, I, I just, I would rent them because I was a Clive Barker fan. And, and then I'd watch them and be like, hmm, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe translating Clive Barker into the cinematic world is a little bit more complicated than I expected. <laughs> Luckily, we had Clive Barker to remedy that with Hellraiser. Yes. Yeah. And to show everyone, this is how you do it, folks. So. That's funny. Um, and I'm going to give Eric another chance here to ask a question, because like I said, I, I'll hog this whole interview, Eric, so go. 
Um, well, how close are we to some Richard Band music for the uh, well for the documentary? Yeah, uh, for for anyone that is listening, um, uh, if you look at the Kickstarter campaign, you'll you'll see uh, kind of a brief description of what what I'm trying to do as far as raise the money. Where is that money going? And um, one of the ideas I had from the very beginning with this documentary was that I really wanted to make a continuation of Empire. I wanted to make an Empire film, not an Empire documentary. This is an Empire movie. It just so happens to be in the documentary format. And it just so happens to be telling the story of Empire. But but I wanted to utilize uh, different talents that were directly associated with the history of Empire. And me being a huge music fan, especially film music, um, yeah, I, I really responded to the work of Richard Band because it it was just so prevalent on the different titles that were released by uh, the company itself. I mean, he was the the musical voice of the Empire catalog, and and I thought, well, if if I'm going to do a documentary, then then I really would want to uh, commission Richard Band to be involved and to do the score for the documentary. And since this is dealing in an era where, you know, Charles Band was targeting theatrical distribution, I mean, it was not looking at video, like Full Moon was more video focused. Um, you know, the scores that were created for a lot of these films were utilizing, you know, an orchestra you know, some big, some small, depending on the budget, but, you know, they were utilizing an orchestra. It was orchestra scores. They were big and bombastic, and they had a lot of weight. And and so I thought, well, if I was doing a documentary and I had him doing the music, I wouldn't want it to be something closer to the scores that he would do for a lot of the Full Moon titles. I would really want to um, create something symphonic, um, that had that same kind of muscle, and uh, and so I talked with him, and and we kind of came up with a game plan, and that that will be expanded upon depending upon the the success of the Kickstarter. Nice. Which is why all you people out there need to support the Kickstarter. Exactly. Hey. <laughs> yeah. If if anyone listening, you you're a fan of. The Empire movies, or really, if you're just a fan of the 1980s, I mean, this is this is a documentary geared to the people that are just nostalgic for that era, and um, and I, it was very important to me to to channel you know all these pop cultural elements to create that story, and um, and I I think people will be in for something really exciting. Awesome. Well, Daniel, I want to thank you. I know we've kept you too long, but I, I want to say thank you so much for doing this and for all of the other docs that you've done. The the fact that you put so much work into these for these for movies like Daddio that that people just to this day only think about the, the pants song. Right. But you went you went further with it. But um this looks amazing and I really, 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 really want it to see to happen and I wanna see it because as I said, I grew up with these movies and I know a lot of other people who did and it sounds phenomenal. 
Well, I, I appreciate it. And it's a great pleasure to be on your show.